0: Hey, right on, man. I, yeah, I just, I wish I was cooler sometimes to follow a tune like that. Thank you so much, Paul. We're looking forward to seeing our Jesus. Well, good morning, First Baptist. It's good to see you all here today. You know, we've got a new, uh, new, how do I say it? A new virus on the rise. You've heard about Delta. You've heard about Omicron. There's another one I want to talk to you about briefly. It's called affluenza. (laughs) Some say it's an epidemic. It's the season upon us. However, I'll agree that the symptoms are undeniably most common from Thanksgiving to New Year's. We're actually just coming out of the affluenza season, you could say. And how do you know if you have affluenza? Well, here's some diagnostic questions you can ask yourself to see if you're suffering from affluenza and maybe you should go see the doctor. If you're willing to pay more for a t-shirt if it has a cool corporate logo on it. If you have a shoe collection, Imelda Marcos would envy. If you're willing to work 40 years at a job you hate to buy lots of stuff. If you're feeling blue and you like to go shopping to treat yourself. If you want a sports utility vehicle, whatever it might be. Although Rarely driving in conditions that warrant one. However, I would argue on that one. Most of us in Wyoming drive in conditions where you need something like that. If you usually just make the minimum payment on credit cards, if you believe whoever dies with the most toys wins. And if you're going to be honest, you'd rather be shopping right now. And you've probably guessed that it's not, it's not necessarily real disease. It's a uh, term that was coined during a, a PBS special. And the definition of affluenza is the bloated, sluggish, and unfulfilled feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses. But why do we need to keep up with anyone? If we're going to be honest, there's more that you and I want. There's more that you want for yourself. Perhaps for your kids, maybe even for your country, for your nation, even for your government. Politically, there's things that we are not satisfied with. And the question I want to talk about this morning is, how can I be satisfied with what God has provided? How can I be satisfied and content with what God has provided? In a culture that's screaming, things aren't the way they should be and you need more. The passage I want to look at this morning comes from John chapter 6. We'll be looking at John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. John 6, 1 through 15. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with, one of his, with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew that he would what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they to do for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign... That he had done. They said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. You may be seated. We're going back into a series that we started uh, last year. We left off whenever the Christmas season began, the Thanksgiving season called living hope going through the gospel of john and in the gospel of john we have a lot of high ideas about who christ is and the gospel of john was written for a very particular reason and the gospel writer revealed that reason in john chapter 20 he said therefore many other signs jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John is not trying to persuade the reader of some general notions that Jesus is a good person, a good teacher, a good uh, rabbi. Rather, he's saying, I'm writing this to you so you will know that he is in fact God, God in the flesh, God come to earth. That's who Jesus is, the one prophesied of in the Old Testament. And over the course of the book of John, we've watched many different encounters with many people. There was a paralytic by a pool that was healed. There was a a woman by the well who learned that she needed a new kind of water than what she was drawing. She needed the living water who was Christ himself. There was a skeptic named Nicodemus that Jesus met with in the middle of the night, explaining to him that you had to be not just born of the flesh, but born from above in order to be saved. In the previous chapter, chapter 5, he met with a group of antagonists that were ready to kill him. And he told them they were spiritually sick people. They were more concerned about rules and relationship. They were more concerned about being legalistic instead of embracing Christ for forgiveness. Scriptures over the Savior and man's praise over God's. He told them if they were really believing the Scriptures, they would understand who he was. Now here in chapter 6, we're going to see a fourth sign of Christ's divinity. It's a miracle that we're all, I think, pretty acquainted with. However, I hope you'll see it in a new way this morning as we look at that miracle in its larger context of what's going on in John chapter 6. So I'd like to approach our topic this way. First of all, we'll look backwards, and we'll get into the shoes of that original audience. And back then, we'll see that Jesus supplies, but as you saw at the end of that section, verse 15, the crowd wanted more. They were unsatisfied with who he was claiming to be at that point. And then secondly, we'll look at the timeless truth. Yes, God meets needs. He knows our needs. He uses our needs to grow us. And then we'll look at the timeless, rather the Current day, the contemporary uh, application of this passage about understanding the nature of need. Understanding what is need versus want. So, Jesus and his disciples have retreated to this less populated area, probably somewhere around here. This is right there on the, the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sea of Tiberias. Uh, that's the, the name that John's readers would have been familiar with. It was named after a city there on the the shores of galilee and he's ministering around this area and these are fishing villages these are our fishermen and, and you'll notice christ uses a lot of illustrations about fishing and fish and he chooses his disciples uh, from among these villages around that sea that he's at right now but we also have to keep in mind that this is a very poor society these are agrarian people they're oppressed And when we read the New Testament, always remember you're reading something written to a group of people living under the Roman rule. These were Jews living under a Roman tyranny, a dictatorship, and they were not happy about it. And these poor agrarian people around this lake were um, heavily taxed to Rome, by Rome, And Jesus had a real interest in these people who were following him around, listening to his message. Now, Jesus has built up a reputation as a healer at this point, and that was attracting bigger and bigger crowds. They wanted to see what this man was all about, they wanted to hear what it was he had to say. He was doing things that many of them had never seen before. In these signs that he was showing them it's good it's why he was doing these things he's meeting physical needs however he's revealing their deeper needs and in doing what he's doing he's showing them that you have a deeper spiritual need he and his disciples needed a time of retreat so they just went up on this hillside and they're just resting but not for long. Notice what it says now in verse 4. The Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Now do not miss that very fine point that's in this chapter because it's really the key to understanding what's going to be happening in John chapter 6. We're not going to cover the whole chapter this morning, but you need to see this. Don't miss it. There's parallels happening here to Passover. Now, remember what Passover is for the Jews. It was that moment in many, many, many years ago, 1,400 years before where we're at right now, the Jews made their way out of Egypt because nine plagues were placed on Egypt. And the Pharaoh wouldn't budge. He wouldn't let the Jews out. He didn't them. He was using them as slave labor. And then another plague came. God said, well, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to kill the firstborn in every family, the firstborn son. And he told the Jews, you can avoid this plague by smearing blood on the doorpost of your house. The angel would pass over the house if it had the blood on it. And the people left quickly. After that, Pharaoh released them. And after that, He pursued them because he had second thoughts about that. And then they were there on the bank of the Red Sea. They saw Moses part the sea. And they walked through on dry land. Again, this all happened 1,400 years before the time of Christ. And for all those years, 1,400 years, people commemorated what had happened here by having a feast. They made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And they had a very particular kind of meal of of unleavened bread because they had to flee uh, before the bread could rise out of Egypt. They could take nothing with them. So we have to think about what the Passover meant to these Jews who were following Jesus around because Jesus is going to use this to show himself as the fulfillment of the Passover. That what happened there and what's happened for 1,400 years with this meal is all pointing to his coming which is there with them right now. The people were thinking in terms of blood and flesh and lambs and unleavened bread, and and they wanted a new Moses because they were living under Roman bondage now. They'd seen God deliver them before. He got them out of Egypt. God get us out of Rome. So Passover for the Jews, it it was a celebration of Independence Day. It's what we do on the 4th of July. They were celebrating God making them independent from their captors. Who will it be now? Who's going to bring the new manna? Who will free us from our captors? We need a Moses and a new kingdom. So verse 4 is key to understanding what's going to be happening in chapter 6. And then we see Jesus ask Philip a question. The, The crowds are gathering and he looks at Philip and says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And then verse 6 reveals this was a test. Whenever Jesus asks a question, it's not like he doesn't already know the answer. But he's bringing his disciples along. Don't miss this. These disciples are going to have to not just believe him, but really trust him. And imagine Philip's stress level. I I people here? I I don't know. So they talk about how they're going to feed these people. I don't know if Jesus is chuckling to himself at this point. And then in verse 9, oh, here's a great answer. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, (laughs) so there's a boy here who's got five barley loaves and two fish. But then listen to him. But what are they for so many? He's like, Look, I'm I'm really digging here, okay? There's this kid with some bread and stuff. I mean, this is kind of a joke at this point. Good point, Andrew. There's a kid with some bread and fish. But the main point is that there was a lack of adequate food plus Jesus' ability to feed a multitude with such tiny resources. Here's the point. And notice, too, that the boy gave up everything he had and look at what Christ was able to do with it. Jesus feeds the crowd. Text says there were five thousand men. When you add the women and the children, there was probably a crowd of about fifteen to twenty thousand in all. Not only is everyone fed, but they all had um, eight. They had uh, baskets left over. Jesus, God, was demonstrating His generosity and even providing even more than what the people were going to need. Then things start to go south. The people see his son, but they do not get the meaning. The crowd wants to force Jesus to define his mission at this point. And they want him to work politically. They want him to become a king who's going to rival all those people that are holding power over them at this point. They want it like it was back in the glory days. But Jesus wants no part of that kind of kingship. He's not going to be tempted by the kingdoms of the world. Uh, And and he must flee. And he has to push his disciples out to sea to get away from these people to avoid these political ambitions of theirs. So he supplied their needs. He met their needs. But this crowd made demands that he was not going to meet. That moves us to this next part. This is the timeless part. That God meets needs. Needs. He knows his people's needs. And we see it here in this feeding miracle. And and indeed it was. He understands the needs. He knows these are poor, hungry people who are following him. He wants to feed them. And we've seen him do it in other times. He meets people's needs. And by the way, now he uses the church to meet the needs. We are the hands and feet of Christ. We need to be about the business of meeting needs. But, (laughs) but not once. God doesn't give people everything they ask for. You know, there's something Tim Keller said that I'll never forget. He said, God always gives us what we'd ask for if we knew everything that He did. He always gives us what we'd ask for if we knew everything that He did. The reason God doesn't give you everything you want is because you don't know everything God knows. You don't know the long-term consequences of getting that thing you so desperately want. And then God uses needs to grow his disciples. He uses needs to grow us. All of us would probably love to know that every need we have is going to be met, that everything we want, rather, we're going to get. But God doesn't work this way, at least not with everyone. And what I mean is that um, God uses needs to keep us dependent on him. God's going to use needs to... Keep us in a state where we have to rely on him with daily dependence. We see this through history. Again, when those those Jews left Egypt, they had to leave in a hurry. They couldn't take things with them. Then they were in the wilderness for 40 years. They had to rely daily on God to give them manna. They couldn't store it up or else it would rot. Daily he was going to meet their needs. God teaches us his ability to meet needs by creating needs and he matures us as we depend on him but our needs go beyond the physical and John is showing us something more than the mere satisfaction of hunger and he wants us to look beyond the fulfillment of this Passover motif that's going on here and he wants to show us that the climax of this section is the weird ending that we have It's when the crowd tries to fit Jesus into their religious categories. You see, they try to control and promote Jesus to what they want him to be. And Jesus has to flee. In the end, it becomes sort of penetratingly clear. They have no clue what they've just witnessed. And in the end, they want to exploit Christ as though he was their own invention. Jesus uses physical needs to point us towards deeper spiritual needs because meeting that physical need is temporary because see all these people who ate this meal guess what they're going to get hungry again those lives he saved in the old testament when when the angel passed over and saved the lives of those firstborn sons they're all going to die again those who jesus raised from the dead they're all going to die again when Jesus was with that woman by the well, drink this water, but guess what? You're going to get thirsty again. These now well fed people are still under the tyrannical control of the Roman Empire. Now, to their defense, just imagine this for a minute. If Christ were to come into our world today. Let's say he chose not to come back during this time in history. Let's say he came back right now to Sheridan, Wyoming, and he started showing us these signs of who he was. Let's say there was an election coming up. I got to tell you, I think I'd put him in as the right-in candidate. I think he'd do a pretty good job. But he wouldn't accept the nomination because that wasn't his mission, because he came to pay for the sins of the world. And he wasn't going to do that by sitting on a throne right now. He's going to do that by going to a cross. He's going to die sacrificially. And there's implications for us, particularly as we understand the nature of need. And we've got to distinguish between need and want. And if you look up what need is, it's, it's that which is necessary for survival. Now, I don't like that one bit because i got a lot of stuff that's probably not necessary. It's interesting as time goes on, what we see is necessary for survival i mean would you really would you buy a house without air conditioning these days indoor plumbing these days i mean it's these are things that it's, and, and, and honestly i mean most of us probably have a smartphone most of us probably have this stuff um, but we need to answer this question carefully because what is your need and we'd all answer it differently And are your needs being met? Your needs. See, faith in God will not get you everything you may want, but it will get for you what God wants you to have. There should be a difference between how Christians and non-Christians approach this, because unbelievers don't need what they want, and Christians should only want what they need. God puts desire in our hearts, but so much of what we chase is not going to deliver what we hope it will. Even in trying to save our own lives, 10 microseconds in heaven, we're going to be asking, why did I work so hard to stay alive? And if we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly for what he gives us. So be content with what you need. Because ultimately, then, the only thing that will satisfy us is him. And then secondly, understand others' needs. Understand others' needs. There's a third one I want to get to. Um, but what do other people need as well? Clearly, Christ was concerned about the needs of others, and uh, there was a couple that actually got together and did some, some studies. They put the, the results of this on emptytombincorporated.com, uh, and they tracked American and American Christian expenditures. And they looked at global needs, and they came to the conclusion that um, 70 to $80 billion a year could meet the most essential human needs around the world, 70 to $80 billion, and you could meet the needs of uh, the people that are that are poor, that um, it would overcome poverty and give people basic education, infant care, immunizations, long term development efforts. Sounds like a lot of money. But then they went a little deeper and they found out this that if people in churches today just gave ten, a full 10% of their income that that would actually provide, this is just in the United States, that would provide an additional $86 billion that you could use towards a lot of these causes. So understand others' needs. And then thirdly, be mindful of nationalism. Be mindful of nationalism. Now, what is nationalism? Uh, It's an idea, uh, this is the Webster's definition, an ideology that emphasizes loyalty, devotion, or allegiance to a nation or nation-state And holds that such obligations outweigh other individual or group interests. Now, see, part of the problem with these Jews was their intense desire to have God's kingdom right now. They wanted it right then. Who could blame them? And it pushed them to try to make Jesus their national savior. But he didn't come to be a national savior, he came to be a world savior. And not from just political oppression, but from the much deeper problem of sin. But both they and us have to be patient for our king to come back. We want the kingdom now. And I think love of country is essential for any civilized society. Uh, But our ultimate hope is God's kingdom, not any earthly kingdom. So putting this all together, be satisfied in Christ's provision for you and look to the needs of others. Be satisfied in Christ's provision for you and look to the needs of others. I'm going to close with this story. It's called, uh, it's called The Stonecutter. It's about this stonecutter. He used to live all alone, and he'd acquired great skills, but he was also very poor. He lived in a little bamboo hut. He had tattered clothing. And one day, uh, as he started working with his hammer and chisel on a huge rock, The king was coming into his town, and he could hear people shouting, and he decided to join in the procession, and the king was dressed in incredible silk clothes, and he looked amazing, and he was greeted by his subjects, and he thought, oh, how I wish I could have the power and the glory of that king. He thought there's no one more powerful. Well, his cry was heard in the heavens, and lo and behold, he became the king. And he was riding on a great horse. But the new king watched the effects of the heat and the sun upon his people, and the men and the animals getting weary, and the plants withering under the rays of the sun. And As he looked at the sky, he realized, well, the sun is more powerful than any earthly ruler. He said, I'd like to become the sun. And he was. It was granted. He relished his new role as the sun. And he gloried in the power he felt. He looked at the kingdoms below and the bright rays to the earth. He was watching the kings and princes having to hide under parasols and umbrellas to find shade. Powerful warriors becoming weak at his gaze. The crops were under his command. But then this tiny cloud moved over the sun. And he saw that tiny cloud was able to stop his power and and cast shade down where there had once been these powerful sun's rays. So he became a gigantic. He wanted to be a cloud, then he became a cloud. It became a gigantic cloud, and he poured rain down. And he flooded the place, and these creeks and rivers swelled up and flooded all the land. But he looked at the rocks, and he saw the rocks were unmoved and couldn't be moved by all the rain and the flooding. So he said, well, what I need to be is a rock. He thought, there's nothing as powerful as a rock. And he became a stone. And there he remained motionless and powerful, unmoved by the sun or the wind or the waters until one day a man carrying a bag came up to him with a hammer and with a chisel and began cutting him. And then he cried out, oh, I want to be a stone cutter. (laughs) And once again, the the heavens heard his cry. He became a stone cutter went back living in a bamboo hut and made his living with a hammer and a chisel and he was content. See, God knows what your needs are. We don't know what our needs are, but we can trust God that he will meet them according to his will. Please pray with me. Almighty God, we thank you for your provision. Even though we don't always get what we want, Lord, you know what we need in every arena of our lives. We don't understand your ways, but Lord, you are not someone who can be put in a box that we can simply look at and understand. But Lord, you love us. You love us so much that you sent your son to pay for our sins so that we could be reconciled to you and have a relationship with you. And we thank you for your wonderful provision in our lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to remind you that if you are in need of prayer today, I'll be up front with um, some other elders. Feel free to come up. We'd love to be able to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful Sunday, and we'll see you soon.